And we welcome you to the Friday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. We're celebrating National Wildlife Week today. In part one, with a spokesperson from the National Wildlife Federation, and in part two, with Nan Calvert paying her monthly visit to the program with local bird watcher Rick Fair. Ahead of that, we want to reiterate the news announced yesterday by the state DNR that 40 state parks, forests, and recreation areas have been closed due to problems with overcrowding, litter, and vandalism. These closures include Bong in Kenosha County and Bigfoot in Walworth County. There are still plenty of other places you can go to enjoy the beauty of nature and the out of doors, but do please practice safe social distancing as you are doing so. Here's part one of today's program. And we're going to finish out today's uh, morning show by talking with a naturalist from the National Wildlife Federation, David Mizajewski. And we're doing so uh, as we come to the end of National Wildlife Week. And with all that is going on right now with the COVID-19 crisis, it's important to remember that the world of nature is still something that we can enjoy. Uh, albeit with certain precautions in place. And, um, of course, certain places we might go to experience uh, the beauty of the natural world uh, might be closed to us. Other places are open. And uh, if we just use some common sense, there is a lot that we can still enjoy right now in the out-of-doors. And uh, I'm uh, grateful to David uh, Mizajewski for making time in his schedule to, uh, to talk with us. He is Uh, not only a naturalist, but a spokesman for the National Wildlife uh, Federation. And uh, he has been a tireless uh, author, television host, blogger on all sorts of issues related uh, to uh, the natural world. David Mizajewski, we welcome you to the morning show. I'm happy to be here. Uh, Ahead of us talking specifically about this kind of strange situation we find ourselves in and how we can best uh, enjoy the natural world around us safely. Um, Say a quick word, uh, if you would, about the National Wildlife Federation, uh, when this organization was created and uh, its most important purposes. Absolutely. We are America's conservation organization at the National Wildlife Federation. We've been around since 1936. So we've got a long history of protecting wildlife and wild places and connecting people to nature. Um, You know, we work on saving species that are in decline, everything from, you know, the the bald eagles that, you know, we were successfully able to get protected under the Endangered Species Act, which have now recovered, to today getting bison reintroduced to their native habitat across America. Um, We're working to, again, connect people to nature, and that's through everything um, like our eco-schools program that helps schools um, get sort of green from top to bottom, or our Ranger Rick magazines that we've been publishing for decades. And, um, you know, really at the end of the day, it's about making sure we have a future where wildlife can thrive. And that's really our mission. Hmm. Tell us about your own relationship to the natural world and how you became so uh, interested in this and passionate about this. Well, (laughs) I have to say that I think I was born this way. (laughs) Hmm. Um, Ever since I can remember um, back to when I was a little, little kid, I always felt drawn to nature and animals. And I was very lucky as a kid that um, my parents encouraged my sisters and me to just go outside and play. And I got to, you know, after school and on the weekends and in the summers, I got to just run around in the woods with my friends and I climbed trees and I 
flipped over logs and looked for salamanders and, you know, yes, got very muddy, got, you know, covered in poison ivy every summer. But it was really foundational for me, just that that free outdoor playtime. And that's something that um, I take with me today to my job as a naturalist at the National Wildlife Federation, because we know that that kind of exposure to the natural world as children is so important. It's so important, you know, frankly, for the health of children. Um, You know, kids today are spending almost eight full hours a day, every single day, indoors in front of electronic screens. Hmm. And this was before the pandemic. So, you know, and I think everybody would agree that that's a little bit too much. It's a little bit out of balance. And so, um, you know, what we're trying to do is, is encourage parents to let their kids play outside and explore nature on their own terms, unstructured. And we know that there are health benefits to this. And of course, at the end of the day, for us at the National Wildlife Federation, we know that kids that get to go out into nature grow up into adults that care about it and know why it's important to protect. And so that is what a lot of our work is focused on doing, including National Wildlife Week. Tell us what your specific responsibilities are, not so much as a spokesman, we all understand that, but as a naturalist with the National Wildlife Federation. What kinds of things as a naturalist have you done for them? Well, a naturalist, you know, you don't you don't get a degree in being a naturalist. It's not the same as being, a, say, a biologist. And so a naturalist really is just someone who who studies the natural world, has a deep knowledge of it. But importantly it's also about it's also someone who can communicate about it and hopefully communicate about it in a way that inspires other people to want to care and even better get involved in the protection of the natural world and that really at the end of the day is what my job is um you know it's about having a deep knowledge of nature but it's also to me most importantly about using that knowledge to help others understand and get involved in in the conservation effort. And so that's what I do at the National Wildlife Federation. And I do a whole wide variety of different things. Um, You know, obviously right now I'm doing a radio tour promoting National Wildlife Week, which, you know, is this week. Um, I do a lot of writing. I write a lot of our content for our website. I work with my colleagues and I do a lot of editing and approval of images so that when we're talking about river otters, we're showing pictures of river otters and not sea otters. Um, I do a lot of my work as a naturalist in the media. As you mentioned earlier, I do a lot of television appearances. I've hosted series on Animal Planet and Nat Geo Wild, and I do the Today Show regularly and shows like Conan O'Brien and Wendy Williams and Ellen and Rachel Ray and, um, you know, a lot of that kind of thing as well. So um, I'm never not busy. <laughs> I do a lot of social media, again, promoting wildlife and understanding wildlife. So if you're on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. You can find me there if you could spell my name. <laughs> so, hmm. We're speaking with David Mizajewski, who is with the National Wildlife Federation, and this is National Wildlife Week. And uh, so we are uh, going to talk for the next few minutes about uh, the importance of enjoying the out-of-doors and the natural world around us, uh, even in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis. And, of course, that's that's one of the oddest things about what we're experiencing right now is that uh, as we practice social distancing, uh, we are mostly uh, in our homes, but actually being outside, at least within certain sensible parameters, is, is perfectly safe and also probably a really good thing to do. Uh, tell our listeners what the advice is of the National Wildlife Federation in terms of enjoying the out-of-doors right now during the COVID-19 crisis? 
Well, that really has become our main message for National Wildlife Week this year. Normally, you know, we've been doing National Wildlife Week for decades. It's really about celebrating wildlife in the natural world. And we usually are, are trying to get people to, you know, go out into the wilderness, go out into nature. And, and um, you know, with the, the COVID-19 pandemic hitting us so hard right now, obviously we've, we've kind of reshifted what our, our focus is there. And so the focus, as you were just saying, has, has really become experiencing the nature around us. And this is actually really cool. And, and, and I'm actually excited about this because it's something that I don't think a lot of people realize. And it's not a message that often really gets promoted from the conservation world. And that is that nature is literally right outside our door. You don't have to travel far to go out into you know, the wilderness or, or you know, do a camping trip or go hiking or whatever to experience nature. Because when you step outside your door, even if you live in the middle of a city, there are, are still birds there. There are still butterflies. There are still plants. And, and it's really more about learning to become a naturalist yourself and, and, and trying to uh, figure out what things might live around you. And going outside for uh, your daily walk, which is still okay to do, um, as long as, and this is critically important, as long as everybody is practicing the recommendations on social and physical distancing, washing your hands. And I think nowadays, I think it's a, we, everyone should be wearing a mask when we're out to keep ourselves safe, but others as well. But, you know, go for that walk through your neighborhood. Um, you know, take your kids on a walk, take the dog on a walk. We all have to do that, right? And so you can turn that into not only a little bit of exercise, but uh, a little nature scavenger hunt. Make a list of some things you think you might see when you're out there. And it could be very simple. Um, you know, again, a butterfly, a leaf, a round rock. Um, and, uh, and it could be things that you can hear, too, by the way. We're, we're at the beginning of bird migration right now. And so all sorts of birds are on the move. And so listening for bird song could be something that you put on your scavenger hunt list. And everybody gets a little sheet and everybody kind of checks off when they see or hear something. You tally them up at the end. And, um, you know, maybe there's a little prize or something. Just something simple like that, that can redirect our minds and reinforce the connection to nature and the fact that nature really is all around us. Hmm. It could be that simple. And that's the kind of thing we're promoting during National Wildlife Week. Uh, tell our listeners about some of the resources that uh, the National Wildlife Federation uh, is making available that uh, can also be of benefit to families and particularly to children uh, during this time. So if folks go to our website, it's nationalwildlifeweek.nwf, as in National Wildlife Federation, dot org. So nationalwildlifeweek.nwf.org. We have a ton of information up there that, that families and anyone really can, can use right now to get connected to nature. The, the, the big thing we're, we're trying to get people to do as a fun way of experiencing that nature around us is what we're calling the My Wildlife Challenge. And so this is uh, an opportunity to just do something fun that, again, kind of reinforces our connection to nature. What you do is you go to the website, nationalwildlifeweek.nwf.org, and you can upload photos of you and your family out in nature. And again, you don't have to be taking the pictures now. These could be pictures that you took on your last, you know, big vacation somewhere. Or again, they could just be right in your own neighborhood. So either pictures of you and your family enjoying nature or just pictures of nature itself that you took. If you upload them, we're creating a big gallery so that everybody can see them and, and really kind of be inspired by, by nature. And of course, when you do, we're entering, we'll enter you in to win an outdoor prize pack so that when the, the pandemic lifts and we can all travel and get together again, um, you, can, you can use some of the, the gear that we're going to be giving away. 
Also on that website, we have got links to lots of different ways that people can get involved in the effort to protect wildlife, as well as things that you can do with your kids. And so one of those things is that we have made all of our Ranger Rick magazine content available for free during the pandemic. So we have got multiple different Ranger Rick magazine titles, and many of us grew up reading Ranger Rick. I know I did. And um, really, really fantastic magazine. We, you know, focused on getting kids educated and connected to nature. And, of course, Ranger Rick is our, our ambassador mascot. He's a raccoon. And there's a comic in every issue of the magazine. And so we've also got educator guides and parent guides for every issue of the magazine that you can now get for free. So these are designed to help, again, parents and educators use the magazine content, you know, in addition to just, you know, kind of informally educating and entertaining kids, a little bit more um, structured as a way of, of, of really educating them and working it maybe into their homeschooling curriculum. So lots of really great stuff there. And in addition to the magazines, we have got videos, we have got games, we have got puzzles, all sorts of really cool stuff that you can access via the National Wildlife Week website. Hmm. Very good. And that website is nwf.org. And, of course, NWF stands for the National Wildlife Federation. And, again, we want to remind people uh, that uh, the beautiful outdoors is out there uh, waiting for you. And uh, just uh, explore it sensibly and uh, carefully, still practicing social distancing. But the fresh air... uh, will do you good, as well as just immersing yourself in the, in the world around us. And uh, uh, David Mizujewski, a, a naturalist for the National Wildlife Federation, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to uh, be part of the morning show today. Uh, very best wishes to you and everybody at the National Wildlife Federation. Thanks, and to you as well. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Morning Show on WGTDHD, your gateway to public radio. I'm Gregory Berg. And for this portion of WGTD's morning show, I am delighted to welcome back to the program two familiar voices, and one of those voices, very, very familiar indeed, Nan Calvert, who (laughs) visits us once a month uh, to uh, offer up a topic related to the natural world. And, uh, And her guest today, Rick Fair, has been on the morning show any number of times, and uh, many of you uh, will recognize the name Rick Fair for uh, the prominence he has in the local bird watching community. And bird watching is something he uh, dearly loves and wants to uh, share uh, information about today. And in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis, there's a whole lot of things that we can't do anymore or for the time being, but uh, bird watching is one of those things that actually uh, is still uh, available to us and a real source of joy. So anyway, Nan Calvert and Rick Fair, we welcome both of you to the morning show today. Thank you. Delighted to be here with you. Nice uh, not seeing you, but it's good to be on the program, Greg and Nan. All right. Thank you very much. You bet. Nan Calvert, uh, maybe just explain a a bit about why you wanted Rick Fair to come on the program and and why you think the topic of birds ties in uh, pretty nicely to a lot of other things we've talked about uh, on your programs. Well, it's spring, and one of the things that happens in springtime is that our birds begin to return, our migratory bird species. And as everybody knows, Rick is our famous regional 
bird expert. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of bird conservation as well in terms of um, bluebird conservation. And so it's time to have him on uh, and talk about what's happening with our native bird populations. How are they faring? And what we can all do to support them. Very good. Well, Before we start talking about the, the topics you want to uh, tackle, uh, since it's been a little while since you've been on the program, I think it would be nice if our listeners could hear the story of how you first became interested in birds and bird watching. Is this something that's been part of your life for nearly all of your life? Uh, well, Greg, I started uh, maybe about 35 to 40 years ago. I had a class at UWM in ornithology, and uh, I never really liked it that much. But uh, when I moved to Racine, I lived near uh, River Bend Nature Center. And so I started, uh, I dug up my old binoculars and bird book, and I started going out there. And uh, uh, gradually uh, it uh, became a hobby and then a passion. And then I got very involved with the uh, local, local Audubon Society. And, uh, and I do it every day now, whenever I can. Great. So why did you take that ornithology course uh, at UWM? Was that just to fulfill a requirement? It was not out of yeah. any interest in birds? Yeah, it was, uh, it was one of the requirements for an environmental conservation degree. We should probably yeah, mention... I was actually more interested in insects than, uh, than birds at that time. Huh. <laughs> we should mention to our listeners that uh, for many years, uh, you were a mailman. And I suppose that's a, a line of work that uh, aligns very nicely and naturally with bird watching. Well, uh, we used to be able to take longer breaks then, but uh, yeah, whenever I could, I would uh, look out or take my break uh, when where there was a park or someplace I could bird. And by the way, I was uh, your mailman at one time. I remember. And... Um, <laughs> I also wanted to, before I forget, I wanted to point out to, to our listeners who might have missed it, but within the last couple of weeks uh, on the morning show, it was right at the start of the COVID-19 crisis when we were still trying to sort out uh, what to do. And I was needing to play a lot of, of rerun interviews from the archives. One of them that I chose to rerun was a wonderful book called To See Every Bird on Earth, which... Uh, was uh, the story of the author and his father and his father's passion for bird watching in which he actually had traveled around the world and seen literally thousands of different species of birds and meticulously kept uh, lists of, of every bird species that he had observed uh, in the wild. And, and of course that's bird watching at a, a very uh, elite sort of level, but uh, it's a really uh, interesting book and uh, kind of uh, is a window into a, a different kind of, of bird watching, and people can certainly seek that out uh, in the uh, morning show archives if they want to uh, hear that interview again uh, about a book called "To See Every Bird on Earth." I imagine, Rick Fair, you haven't seen thousands of species, but I'm sure you've seen hundreds. Uh, I've seen maybe 500. Uh, I do a little traveling in the, in the United States. I haven't gone to any foreign countries on any birding trips, and that's how you really build up your list. 
but I did read that book. It's very interesting. Uh, there's a few other ones. Uh, one is called The Big Year, which they made a movie uh, about uh, that didn't quite do very well in, in the theaters, but the book is very interesting. I would recommend reading that book. Um, very good. But, so one of the reasons Nan Calvert wanted you on the program, Rick, was to talk about uh, the migration of birds during the season of, of spring. And um, so this is something that, of course, we can uh, readily observe out our windows. And as we are uh, out and about, uh, safely uh, on walks and so on. So um, maybe you could uh, talk us through <laughs> birds are already here and which uh, ones are still on their way that we can expect to see uh, shortly? Oh, okay. Well, the birds that are year-round residents, uh, like our, our uh, black-capped chickadees, our morning doves, uh, the cardinals, the house finches, you wake up in the morning, go outside, and they're all starting to sing because they're starting to set up territories and uh, attracting females and then they'll soon be nesting and raising young, which is a very big part of their life cycle. But uh, the birds are starting to migrate and the migration maybe started over a month ago. I always look for the red ringed blackbirds as when I see them, I, I know that spring is coming. Uh, so they are here. Uh, we're seeing a lot of robins now. Uh, some winters, robins can stay here in our area, but they have the ability to uh, to actually shrink their reproductive organs in the winter time and grow larger uh, in, uh, digestive systems so they can uh, eat berries and fruits from uh, from shrubs and trees. Uh, some of the early migrants are the ones that don't have to uh, go as far uh, in the winter time. So they overwinter in, uh, in the United States. And, and your waterfowl, which may be overwinter in Louisiana and Texas, they are one of the first ones to migrate. These are the ducks, the geese, the, geese, the swans, uh, the loons. And uh, they're waiting for the lakes to uh, get free of ice. And then they'll go up even into Canada. Some will go all the way up to the Arctic to nest. Uh, and uh, these, uh, we had a field trip that we had to cancel out at Eagle Lake in Racine County, but any lake would be good now to check out for, for ducks because some of the lakes are still frozen up north and uh, up into Canada. So it would be good to uh, go up there and check out some of the waterfowl. Sandhill cranes have come back. Uh, I just read something recently where somebody found uh, an egg in one of the nests. So they already started to lay eggs. Song and fox sparrows are back in numbers. If you look into the sky, you'll see a lot of turkey vultures flying around. Uh, another interesting bird is a woodcock. We had to cancel uh, that field trip uh, every year, and it's very interesting. The woodcock is a member of the shorebird family, and it has a mating ritual where it'll come out at dusk. The male will start making these peent calls, 
And then in a little while, he'll take flight several hundred yards up in the air. And when he comes down, he makes this chirping sound from his voice. And also there's a sound that comes through his wingtips. And that's what he does to try to attract the female. And he'll maybe do this for an hour right at the beginning of the evening uh, and uh, try to attract a female. Uh, a good spot to go for this would be Cliffside Park, Pike River uh, Waterway, Guatabong uh, Recreational, or Chihuahua Prairie. Uh, so it's very interesting to see that. Uh, the killdeer are back. And right now, there's a, there's a number of uh, birds coming in. There's one called the brown creeper, which will start at the base of a tree. It's a little brown bird with a little decurved bill. And he will start at the base of a tree, spiral his way upward. And when he gets to a certain point, then he'll start at another tree at the base. And he's looking for insects under the bark of the trees. Very resourceful. We also have our kinglets, our golden crown and ruby crown. Kinglets, the golden crown is actually the smallest nesting songbird in North America. And uh, they have their little spots on the top of their head, either yellow, orange, or reddish orange. Uh, an interesting bird is uh, a member of the woodpecker family, the yellow-bellied sapsucker. Sounds like a fictitious name, but uh, this is a woodpecker that uh, likes to make holes in the tree while the sap is flowing, which it is right now, and uh, it laps up the, the sap, and insects will get caught in there, and other birds can take advantage of the, of the insects that get stuck in the sap. Uh, a few other ones are the Eastern Phoebe. Look for a flycatcher that wags its tail up and down. A hermit thrush is one of the early uh, thrush members that comes. It also wags its tail up and down a little bit. Some of your sparrows will be coming in, your white-throated, white-crowned sparrows, swamp sparrows. So things are starting to come in. But then by the end of the month is when uh, the real joys and the real beauties of, of the bird world come in. And those are the warblers, the, the vireos, the orioles, the grosbeaks, the indigo buntings, the scarlet tanagers, and the hummingbird. Uh, so these birds right now may be in South America, Central America, some of the islands in between. And as the day length gets shorter in the Southern Hemisphere, they start to get very active and they start feeding very heavily. And they're building up a lot of fat under their uh, skin or around their organs. And that's their fuel for their migration. Uh, we have a lot of we had a lot of uh, field trips planned during the month of May, which we may have to cancel because of uh, restricting the numbers of people to come. But this is the time of year to go to your local parks and check out these beautiful uh, birds as they're migrating in. Right. I uh, wanted to mention that just yesterday, uh, on my way oh. home, I encountered three turkey vultures and oh. <laughs> it's one of the it's probably the biggest bird i have ever seen if when i say it in the wild i mean i've seen peacocks and ostriches in zoos but in terms of just 
encountering a bird in in the course of my everyday life i'd never seen a bird so huge and uh, they're not exactly attractive either but i mean it was really majestic and one of them there were actually a couple of them were on on the on the road i was driving on and when they took up i felt like i could hear the flapping of their wings I mean, it was really uh, quite a sight they were probably feeding on a carcass on a road roadkill or something uh, could be actually. I uh, I guess I should have paid more attention. I was kind of captivated by them, and then uh, and then they flew into a, a nearby tree, and one of them landed on 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 the roof of the house right there. And uh, I I sat there for a long time until cars pulled up behind me, and I had to be on my way. But it was it was really something to, uh -huh. to see. And the head looked exactly as we imagine a vulture looking, but the body was uh, a little darker. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, they don't they don't have any feathers on their face area because they're eating uh, rotting food and dead decomposing matter, and they don't want to get any maggots in their feathers. So that's one of their adaptations for for feeding that way. Hmm, makes sense. Nan, you uh, want to ask uh, Rick something? I think. Yes, you know, um, many of the trails are open at local nature centers and certainly our local parks uh, and people can now take advantage of um, get, getting outside because the weather is getting nice and and going birding and if they've not had much experience doing it um, it would be nice if we could have you chime in about a resource for learning bird calls what what would you recommend oh for bird calls Mm -hmm. uh, there's a few there's a few apps that you can get for your phone. Uh, one that I recommend and it's uh, it's free is called Merlin. M E R L I N. Merlin is actually a falcon, but it's spelled like Merlin the magician. Right. Uh, it has uh, it kind of walks you through identifying birds that uh, you're not familiar with. It'll ask you questions about size and shape. And it has a lot of photos of the birds. And I believe now if you take a good photo of a bird, it will identify the bird for you. Uh, it also has a lot of the bird songs on it. But there are a few other apps. Uh, one I really like is uh, Sibley's. Uh, he has come out with some really nice drawings of birds and he has a lot of information. Uh, another one is called iBird Pro which gives you a lot of uh, resources and also has a Flickr page where you can see a lot of photos of the birds. But, but all of these apps have uh, a section where they show you the, the range of the bird and also the, uh, the songs that, that they have and calls. Very good. For those of you just joining us, this is Nan Calvert's monthly visit to the program. And with her is Rick Fair, a local uh, bird watching enthusiast. And we are talking about uh, many of the birds that are uh, migrating or about to migrate into our area that we can enjoy, even in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis, just by using a bit of common sense. Uh, you can be out and about, of course, uh, enjoying uh, the beautiful birds around us. Rick Fair, I know that one of the things you wanted to talk about was a recent study which uh, makes the estimate that we have seen a decline of three billion birds in North America over the last half century, which is of course a, a very sad and, and, uh, and troubling uh, development. 
which I as, uh, assume can be ascribed to a, a lot of different things, including pollution and urban sprawl and, and so on. Um, I know that you want to talk us through a list of suggestions that uh, we as average citizens uh, can do to help sustain bird populations and maybe prevent some further declines. Why don't you talk us through what some of those suggestions are? Okay, uh, so the, the, the study you're referring to is one done by uh, some people in Cornell University, which is a bird university, well known for their bird studies. Uh, and it was in Science Magazine, I believe. Uh, and it was the last 50 years, starting in 1970, that we lost 3 billion or 25% of our birds. Uh, and they found this, they got this information from waterfall surveys, breeding bird surveys, Christmas bird counts, and weather radar data uh, to get this number. Uh, so some birds are really in trouble, the grassland birds, uh, such as meadowlarks and bobolinks, uh, due to urban and agricultural development, some of the birds that breed in the Arctic, many of your shorebirds and snowy owls uh, took a big hit. A lot of your aerial insectivores, such as swallows and swifts, uh, lost a lot uh, because of some of the insecticides we use. One in particular now is the, uh, the neonicotinoids, uh, which are water soluble and, and people are more concerned about bees losing uh, uh, their way and, and it's causing a lot of deaths in the, in the bee pollinators. Uh, they've lost a lot uh, and, uh, and the boreal forests also. And some of these reasons are logging and clearing for oil and gas. Uh, but there are some things that we can do. And uh, one of them is uh, one billion birds a year die from window strikes. So you can install some outside screens to your windows or decals, anything to break up the reflection in a window. If you go outside and look at your window from the outside, you can see what the bird is seeing. You may be seeing a, a tree reflection and think that it's a tree and they may fly into it with enough force to, to kill it. Uh, and they also have some uh, interesting, uh, some ultraviolet and in infrared things you can put in your windows that you can see out, but uh, the birds can see it and, and avoid your windows. Hmm. Also, uh, some of the taller buildings, uh, they should have their lights out at night. When birds, a lot of birds migrate at night, uh, they, sh they often get confused if, there's a low-lying uh, fog or, or cloud level, they may fly into the, these uh, tall buildings with the lights on. Uh, so they have Safe Building Act. You can talk to your local politicians about maybe making buildings safer, the tall buildings. Uh, for instance, the, the Bucks, for, the Bucks uh, Arena, is bird friendly. They put windows in that birds will see and won't strike. Another thing is keep your cats indoors. Cats kill about 2.6 billion birds a year. Wow. 
and there's about 110 million cats running wild right now. So keep your cat indoors. They live longer, they're healthier. Reduce your lawn and plant, uh, and plant natives. Uh, lawns are monocultures. They don't really attract a lot of uh, insects that birds really is like and need. And uh, so it's much better to get rid of your lawns and plant native plants. Avoid pesticides. Uh, if you can buy organic food, buy it. Uh, there's about a billion pounds a, a year of these neonicotinoids. Uh, they're also called neonics. Uh, we started out with DDT. When we banned that, that helped some of the, the birds. Uh, the birds of prey actually are doing better according to this 50-year uh, study. Uh, and so are some of your waterfowl because uh, we've done a lot for restoring uh, and acquiring wetlands for the waterfowl. So their numbers actually have gone up. And when we banned DDT, that helped a lot of our, our uh, birds of prey. And, and the way these pesticides kill is they're water soluble, these new ones, and they grow up and they go up into the roots, into the stems, into the flowers, into the seeds, and whenever anything eats them, uh, they can die. And also, if you reduce too many insects, a lot of birds are suffering, like the swallows, the nighthawks, the whippoorwills, because we're killing too many insects, and they don't have enough food to feed on. Hmm. Another thing we can do is uh, drink uh, shade-grown coffee. Uh, a lot of coffee is grown where they cut everything down in the forest, and uh, they use a lot of uh, insecticides and to grow their coffee. And it's much better if you can grow if you can buy shade-grown coffee. Reduce your plastic use. There's 5,000 million tons in landfills and in our environment. Birds can either eat the plastic or they sometimes get entangled in them. Uh, I just read something recently. Ospreys, they're finding a lot of plastic in osprey nests. And so when the young ones are born, they could get tangled up in the plastic. So we can use cloth bags, get rid of uh, plastic straws, get rid of plastic bottles. So there's a lot of ways we can help there. And uh, I think that's six, seven. The last one is watch birds. Uh, a lot of information about birds is done by uh, our civilians and non-scientists like us. And we can report our sightings on eBird. Uh, they have feeder watch. Christmas bird counts, breeding bird surveys, uh, great backyard bird counts. So these are ways that we can help out uh, with this uh, dilemma of losing birds. Hmm. And Nan Calvert, I'm sure you've appreciated this list because it really underscores something you like to talk about often on the morning show, and that is the interconnectedness of the world around us and, and the interconnectedness of, of human beings and what we do. Right, exactly. I just would like to thank Rick for saying all of those things and just wanted to reemphasize that without insects, we can't have birds. 
the birds that we enjoy here in Wisconsin, our native bird species, they need insects to survive either throughout their entire life or at least a good part of it. And they can't, insects don't thrive without a native plant habitat. So it truly is all connected. So if you want to do something really good, if you really love birds, start getting native plants in there. Especially, you know, we, we love to feed hummingbirds and it's such a beautiful thing. It just seems so miraculous to see hummingbirds out your window and we feed them, you know, a human-made nectar, which is, a, it's an okay substitute for plant nectar, but it, it's not the same. So if you really want to attract a lot of hummingbirds, get some good native plants in your yard. That nectar is designed to nourish them and they, they know to go for it as well. Um, and just a quick word about cats. If you love birds, you know, cats trap, neuter, release. And so when a cat is brought into an animal shelter, they spay or neuter it, and there's the opportunity to have it released back in the environment. It's good that the cats won't reproduce, but it doesn't do anything to support our native bird and mammal populations. They can still go out there and hunt um, just like they did before surgery. But release does nothing to support bird populations at all, unfortunately. Um, so the best bet is keep those cats indoors. Good suggestion. Rick Fair, uh, we can give you a couple of minutes to talk about the Hoy Audubon's Trees We Love program. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, this is a program started by one of our members, and she, she's our environmental chair, uh, Sue Shewitt. Uh, this is the fifth year, I believe, of this program. Uh, people can nominate trees, uh, doesn't matter what species they are, a tree that they think is uh, majestic looking, uh, has uh, just a beautiful thing, uh, look about it. And then we, uh, there's a committee that will uh, look at all these nominations and uh, an arborist will come out and check the height of the tree, uh, estimate how old it is. And if the tree is selected as uh, about 20 of them have been already, uh, the tree will get a plaque made out of bronze uh, also a historical write-up about the area that the tree is found in. Uh, Sue does great re research and, and a great write-up about the, uh, from the Racine Historical Society about that area. And also a framed photo of that tree. Uh, it can be a tree on private property. It can be one in the public area. Uh, and the deadline is May 30th, 31st, uh, for the nominations to be in. Uh, you can get the nominations from our, our website, which would be hoyaudubon.org. And I guess this folds nicely into uh, the work of, a, of, a, of an organization that loves birds and wants to safeguard them, because trees, of course, play a very important role in the well-being of birds, and, and uh, we can't have birds without without uh, plenty of healthy trees. Absolutely, uh, especially with the carbon uh, 
problem we have. Uh, the trees absorb carbon dioxide and give us oxygen. And uh, one of the things that may be affecting the birds in the future more so than it is now is climate change. And that has a big effect on birds. Uh, if the, uh, the ice, uh, the glaciers melt and the oceans get higher, the shorelines aren't there, and a lot of shorebirds need uh, pit stops along the way to where they're going to the Arctic to fatten up. And if they don't have a place to feed, they're in trouble. And also the timing of when they have their young and when there's enough insects for them to raise a family is very important. And that could very well get upset with the changing climate. Wow. So a lot of things to think about to, uh, to keep the well-being of birds uh, at, at the forefront of our, our, our concerns. Um, Rick, if people want more information about uh, Hoy Audubon and, uh, and uh, other matters related to bird watching, uh, is there a website you would direct them to? Yes, you can, uh, you can just uh, Google Hoy Audubon, H-O-Y uh, Audubon. We are a local chapter of the National Audubon Society. There's about 15 chapters in the state. Uh, we are a very active chapter. We also have a Facebook page and uh, we are very uh, involved uh, with bluebird trails and purple martin houses. So if you ever want to volunteer for anything like that, uh, we're always looking for people. Uh, unfortunately, we had to cancel our probably will have to cancel our May walks. We would have them at four different locations four times a week. So we do offer a lot of opportunities for you to learn about birds. And we welcome everybody. We're a very friendly group of people and uh, we like to share our expertise. Very good. Uh, are you still having any meetings during this COVID-19 crisis? I mean, virtual meetings? Uh, those are on hold for now? Uh, we had to cancel. Okay. We had to cancel our April meeting. We probably will have to cancel our May meeting and uh, our field trips. Uh, so, yeah, like everything else, uh, so many things are being canceled. Right. Well, we our fingers are crossed that uh, life will return to normal relatively soon, and especially for Hoy Audubon for all the good things that you uh, do that we hope you can be uh, resuming okay. your normal activities by summer. So, Thank you. Thank you. Rick Fair, great to have you with us on the morning show. Thank you so much. Nan Calvert, well, do you have a closing? It. Thank you, Greg. You bet. Nan Calvert, do you have a closing word for us? Yes, a couple of things. Uh, Root Pike Watershed Initiative Network is having a photo contest. Uh, it just started a few days ago. The deadline for submission is May 12th, uh, and the winner of the contest will be notified uh, by May uh, 20th or May 22nd, or May 19th, I'm sorry. Um, so what we're looking for are pictures of native plants. They must be native plants. When you submit the photo, you need to let us know who you are and where you took it. You can certainly submit more than one photo. Submit them to info at rootpikewin.org. Uh, and uh, we invite everybody to participate. I hope we get a lot of photos. The winner will receive $100. Wow. Uh, next, I just wanted to make mention of all of our 
nature centers out there. They're really struggling now. School programs were canceled, events are canceled, um, classes have been canceled. All of that represented much needed revenue. Our nature centers run on half of a shoestring of a budget to begin with. So this is a very, very difficult time for them. If you can, please consider supporting our nature centers with a monetary contribution. You can go to their websites, you can give them a call. Um, many of the trails are still open. River Bend's trails are open, but the buildings are closed. Single Nature Center is closed, but the trails are open. Eco Justice Center is closed. Hawthorne Hollow is completely closed. And all of them need your support. So again, if you can, please consider taking out a membership, renewing your membership early, sending in an extra contribution uh, so that uh, we can maintain our beautiful nature centers. Terrific suggestion. Yes. Nan Calvert, thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for this program. And we look forward to seeing you in May. Thank you so much. We'll see you in May.